Welcome to the Mana Church Stafford Podcast, where we're all about equipping God's people to change their world. We are thankful you are here and pray this message encourages you to love God, love others, and love the world more fervently than before. Now, let's get to it. Serve Day video coming up. Thank you to everyone who came out last week and served. We appreciate you so much. And here are some highlights from the day. Yeah, let's give Jesus a praise. Wasn't that a great video? All of the things that you guys did last week. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Jake, I'm the pastor here. If you're online, I wanna tell you that video that we just saw, that's what we did last week for our worship experience. It's something that we do two times a year. We worship God by going out and serving the community. And I'm gonna tell you, you guys did so much to advance the, the name of Jesus to advance the gospel in the community last week, and I am honored to be associated with you guys. I'm, let, let's just give Jesus a praise again. Can we do that? Man, that was awesome. You know, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus said this. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works like serve day and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And what this passage is trying to say is that you all are the light bringers in this earth. You all are supposed to be doing that. And, and God knows that people need the light and he chooses you and I to shine that light to people. He never intended for us to be a hidden church that hides away. In fact, when we go out, we put on shirts that say Mana Church across the front of them and serve team on the back and that's not because we're trying to promote any individuals other than Jesus, but I'm telling you, we want people to know that there's a church here that will love them and will serve them and so we are trying to make sure that that gets out there that people see there's a church. Man, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna see what's going on. I wanna serve people 
as well. And we want them to be drawn here just like when, you know, weary travelers, they see a, they see a city when they're, they're, they're taking a long journey and they see a city on a hill and like, man, that's gonna be a place of refuge. When we're out in the community, there are gonna be people that we serve. We're gonna try to serve people who need it the most. And hopefully, they're gonna see that Mana Church is gonna be that, that shining city that's set on a hill that they can come and visit and they can get rest and restoration for their souls from the weariness. We always say something here. We say we wanna make it hard to go to hell in Stafford. And, and you know, what we mean is we just, we just wanna make the good news of Jesus spread by being the light. And the more we do that, the harder it's gonna be to ignore the call of a loving Savior who, who wants to take care of people. And the love of Jesus changes people. One example is th- this school, actually. So when we came here, lots of you guys don't know this, when we first came to this school, um, they had had a, a little bit of a negative experience with some tenants before. And we came here, and, and so it was a little bit of a challenge to kind of get things set up, and they're like, man, we don't know. You guys are gonna be a church. You're gonna be here every week. It might be kind of a hassle. And what happened is through the course of our serve day, we redid their teacher's lounge one time, we mulched out front one time, we uh, redid their conference room, you saw that in the pictures one time, and I came in and I met with the, the principal, me and our Next Generations director, Ben. Um, we came in and met with the principal this week, and one of the things that was so cool was, they were like, man, we've left the doors to our conference room open all week so that when people come in, they can see how much different it looks, because it's so nice. Thank you so much for being here. And what's happened is, as a result of that, they have given us more access to the school. They trust us because they know that we're just here to love them. We're not trying to get anything from them. We don't want anything in return. We just wanna love them. We wanna show the love of Jesus. And so they provided us access because they feel differently about you all. They feel differently about this church being here. And I'm gonna tell you, the Holy Spirit, your service, it buys us access and that puts people in proximity with Holy Spirit-filled believers. He, he actually said, hey, if you guys wanna come in and mentor students, that's available for you. You can come, you can be here at lunch and just kinda hang out with the students. I'm gonna tell you, that's great access right there. There's 2,500 students that meet in this school. Do you guys know that? 2,500 students, and I bet a lot of them need Jesus. But because of what you do on those serve days, because of what you do when we're here, leaving the school better than it was when we found it, it actually gives us that access. So just thank you for what you guys do. Um, So this idea, though, this idea of being a city set on a hill, it's something that lots of people have used over the years, and aside from being a verse in the Bible, it actually became prominent when there was this Puritan, his name was John Winthrop, is when he first led people to America to colonize Boston, and he said, listen, you guys need to understand, we're gonna be a shining city on a hill. The whole world is gonna be watching us to see how this works, and so that idea has actually been co-opted several times by, by different political leaders. Um, John Kennedy used it, Ronald Reagan used to quote it, that's kinda what he ran on, that America was this shining city on a hill. President Obama was the one who most recently used that line, and, and oftentimes what we see is Christian faith and democracy tied together, and in some ways that makes sense because Western civilization was more heavily influenced by Judeo-Christian values than, than any other society, and as a result, we enjoy lots and lots of freedoms in this society. And so the, the, the ideas of Christianity and democratic freedoms, they become so intertwined in some ways that it's difficult to draw the lines between where our faith ends and political affiliation begins, amen? 
Sometimes that gets challenging. And so when we think of democracy in America, people think about freedom. That's what they think. In fact, that's one of the reasons we have such huge numbers of people wanting to come here and become Americans. We have something that people want. It's liberty. It's not common, and it's really, really, really good. Amen? Jesus set it up so that when people think of him, they also think about freedom. But there are some distinctions between the kinds of freedom that we think of when we talk about it here nationally and the freedom that Jesus came to give us. There, there's some differences. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about when he first came on the scene and what it looked like. So when, when he was there, there were all these political stirrings. When he first showed up, there had been a lot of uprisings and the Jews were, were sick of the political and the religious oppression by the Roman occupants. And so Jesus started to get some notoriety. He had done some miracles in other cities and then he came back to his hometown, Nazareth, and and he, he, this is his first kind of speaking engagement where we're gonna pick up this morning. So he goes to the, the synagogue on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, and it says in Luke 4 what he did. We're gonna read that. It says, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, his hometown. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, and then he read this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. But he's looking at him. And he began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. You wanna talk about a mic drop moment. That is powerful. And when he read this, the people who were listening to him, they had an interpretation of what that meant. So their minds were oriented to a very literal captivity that they had been experiencing under Roman rule. So freedom for them meant a restoration of a Jewish state. It meant national liberation from the Romans. So this prophecy was 700 years before Jesus stood here and read it. It was before the Roman Empire took over Palestine. And so imagine somebody coming in and being so bold to read a prophecy 700 years old and being like, by the way, 700 years ago, they were talking about me right now. I mean, you gotta have some boldness to do that. And just to kind of get in, in Jesus' headspace as he was talking to them, I, I, was, kinda, I, was, list, I was reading this and I was trying to think about it. And what, what it made me think about was, have you ever had someone that you cared about and you can clearly see what was wrong? Like you, you can clearly see like, man, they're making these bad decisions and if I can just help them, their life is gonna be so much better. If they just trust me and listen to me, I'm gonna be able to turn them around. It actually reminds me of this clip I saw. Um, I, watch, I like watching little Instagram reels. There's, this was before Instagram reels. It's this funny clip and it's a, a husband and a wife and they're sitting on a couch and they're talking to each other. And as they're talking, the, the, the wife is like, you know, I just, I just have this pain. It hurts so bad, and it's always there, and it, it never goes away, and I can't get rid of it. And she looks at the husband, and the husband's like getting ready to say something, and she's like, 
I know what you're gonna say, and it's not about the nail. And then she turns, and the camera pans, and there's this 10-penny nail sticking out of the middle of her forehead. And he's like, but I mean, if you would just listen to me, I think if you would just let me maybe try to pull the nail out. She's like, no, it's not about the nail. This pain in my head, it's from something else. I just want you to listen to me. What's funny is it's, it's just this kind of caricature of, of how men and women approach problems differently. But have you ever had something like that happen to you? Have you ever had someone that you loved, you cared about, and you knew the solution to their problems if you could just get them to listen to you? Like it was right there. If you could just, just listen to me. Maybe they're in a toxic relationship. You're like, man, all of your problems come from this relationship. It is poisoning you. Or maybe it's something like they keep sabotaging themselves with addiction. Every time their life starts to get better, they take another turn back for the worse. They get stuck back in addiction. It's like, man, if you would just get some help, that's your problem. You're around the wrong people, you're in the wrong place, it's the wrong things. Or maybe it's someone who they're super talented and they just refuse to use their talents and they could have the world by the tail if they would just listen to you. And I think Jesus might have had some of this kind of heartache as he went to his hometown because these were people he knew. He had grown up around these people. They weren't strangers. They were waiting. They had heard about miracles that he was doing and they were waiting when he got there. And so Jesus shows up and he knows what they need. And he's given them this verse and he's telling them like, y'all, today is the day freedom has come. Sight for the blind. I'm gonna set free the captives. And they were really excited about it at first. They were excited to hear him to speak, but it didn't take very long for them to turn on him. And we don't have the whole message that he spoke on that Shabbat, but what we do know from the rest of the passage is by the end of it, they took him to the edge of town and tried to throw him off a cliff. They were like, it's not about the nail, man. Why are you focused on the nail? And they actually tried to kill him. So this, this word, this 700-year-old prophecy, this was the crux of why Jesus actually came to the earth. He was what they'd been waiting on the whole time. He was the solution to every single one of their problems. And so I said it before, but I'll say it again. I think it was really clear that the Hebrews wanted Jesus to solve their practical problems. But he was interested in a lot more. When he said the poor in verse 18, they were thinking about the literal poor people that they saw on the street corners who had been cast out, who had lost their jobs or their trades because of the way that the Romans had, had, had left things. When he talked about the captives, they were thinking about their friends and families who had been put into jail wrongly. When, when he was talking about the blind, they were thinking they needed a physician and they wanted somebody to heal all their physical maladies. That's what they were talking about. When, when he talked about the oppressed, no doubt they were thinking, like, we need to be a sovereign state. We're supposed to have a king that rules over us, but instead we gotta listen to this Roman overlord tell us what to do. And they've been promised that for centuries, that there would be a liberator that would come. And they completely missed what he was telling them. The poor he was speaking of were people who were spiritually bankrupt, not just financially needy people. The, the site he was there to restore, it wasn't just a physical site. And I would even say it was not primarily 
a physical sight. He was there to open spiritual eyes that had been blinded. The oppression and the bondage that he was there to liberate, it wasn't from a Roman prefect or emperor in Rome. It was from a demonic force who had been in power since the fall of man. And the thing is, they were so used to the bondage that they had been living in that they were blind to see what he had come to do. And so this was the beginning of his ministry. By the end of his three-year ministry that we, that we read about in the Gospels, he was still trying to get them to comprehend this. He was still trying to get them to understand. John 14, it's actually the, the time where he's with the, the apostles right before he goes to be crucified, and he's talking to them. John 14, verse 16, he says, I'm gonna ask the Father, he's gonna give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot see because it doesn't see him and it doesn't know him. The world is blinded. They can't even see the spirit of truth. I've been with you this whole time. They don't see me. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they're not gonna be able to see him either. The world is blind to him just like they were blind to Jesus. It's like those people we talked about a minute ago. It's, it, they're blind to the solution to their problems. And I think one of the biggest issues that they had back then is actually the same kind of issue that we deal with today. When Jesus talked about freedom, they would get fired up. They would get excited. But that's not really what they were looking for. What they were looking for was independence. And I think that's a lot of people today. They want to be completely separate from authority. They want to rule themselves. But here's the thing. He wasn't there to deliver that. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus did not come to give us independence. He came to set us free. And that is something altogether different from independence. It's completely different. And we're going to talk about that. Today, So like I said, their problem is the same one that we have now, but I would say our problem now is even worse because we don't actually believe that we're in bondage. The, the people that are out in society, at work, school, your neighborhood, maybe in your family, I bet that they would swear to you that they are completely free. They would probably, no, I'm free, I'm good. Like I don't have issues like you're talking about. And Jesus dealt with the same thing when he had people who followed him, but they didn't understand what he had come for. John 8, it says this, verse 31 and 36. It says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, again, they're confused. They said, we're offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices a sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I bet you have people like this in your life. Like, man, I just want you to come. Come to church with me. Come to small group with me. Let me pray for you. I would love for you to be free. And they're like, bro, I am free. What are you talking about? Like, no, you're not. And see, before Jesus Every single one of us, we were in bondage. We can't escape it. It's, it's as real as the bondage that we have to, to something like oxygen, okay? You cannot separate yourself from the urge to breathe. Anybody here who can do that, that would be amazing. But you can't. It's overwhelming, the need to breathe. It's also extremely natural. It's expected. It's normal for people to breathe. In fact, if you met somebody who didn't breathe, you would think that they were a completely different species of human, wouldn't you? Like, man, you don't need oxygen. 
You are so different from us. And that right there is the heart of what the gospel says. That's what it's about. Because Jesus says when he comes into us, he makes us a new creation. He makes us something completely different. And all the normal habits that we had, the normal way of living, those things get put aside and we become free. But before, when we don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, we actually cannot escape the power of sin. It's just like the urge to breathe. You can't get away from it. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says this. The mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It can't submit to the law of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So when you live this way, apart from God, in sin, it's almost like I could say it this way. It's not your fault. You're sinning. I get it. You can't help it. You don't have to try to be hostile to God. You don't, you don't have to work hard at it. It's your natural state. You were born into it just like every other person in the world. And even when people don't talk openly about being a slave to sin, I gotta believe that there's something in them that feels that bondage and that oppression. And, and, and it, it, they, they don't talk about it, but it's there. And if that's you today, I, I want you to know you are the reason why Jesus came to this earth. You're the reason he's here. You're the reason he came. He lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death, and he was resurrected on the third day, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. He's interceding for you. You are the reason that he came to this earth because he wants you to be free. He wants you to live free. Amen? His message was one of hope. But see, here's the thing. When we think about Jesus' message of hope, a lot of times we think, yes, I'm not gonna go to hell. That's what I want. I don't wanna go to hell. I don't wanna suffer the punishment for all the sins that I committed. But here's the deal. His hope wasn't just for the next life. His hope was for this life as well. It wasn't just so you, you had some fire insurance that you weren't gonna live in hell for the rest of your days. It was so you didn't have to live in hell on earth anymore either. He came to set us free from the bondage of sin. That's the freedom he came for, amen? This life, it can be better. Doesn't have to be riddled with all the death that comes from the sins that we commit against our brothers, our sisters, our spouses, our coworkers, our neighbors, people online, the ones we commit against God and the ones we commit against ourselves. And we have this messed up mindset that the only way that we can be free of sin is if we die. But I'm gonna tell you, and I want you to think about this. If the only time that you're free from sin is after you die, then Jesus is not your savior, death is. Right? He came to liberate you. Yeah, no, give him a praise, that's what he came for. He came to liberate you. You don't have to wait until you die to be free from sin. And so if that's you, if you're living in sin today, before we leave today, I'm gonna give you a chance to make a decision that will change your life forever. In that same passage where Jesus talks about the difference if you would give your life to Jesus, here in Romans 8, let's, let's go, go through it. Romans 8, verse 10, he says, but if Christ is in you, again, he's talked about sin and what it does. Verse 10, he says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. 
okay? You're mortal. He's gonna give life to the mortal body, the body you have right now. He's gonna give life to it through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you're gonna live. That's what we want. And so we know that the world's way of living is in slavery to sin. But what's more troubling, and what I really wanna talk about today, is that many of us here, even though we've accepted Christ, we still live in bondage to sin. It's true. And maybe it's not as bad as it was before. Maybe you don't do all of the things to the degree that you did before you knew Jesus, but you still do and say and think things that cross a line. And some of you might start to squirm in your seats a little bit, and that's okay. You know those things aren't righteous, they're not pleasing to God. And if you're like me, they're probably not new things. You probably haven't picked up some new bad habits since you accepted Jesus. They're probably old things that are still lingering and they're just manifesting in different ways. They're, they're lingering sins from your past life just as a normal person, just breathing oxygen. You were used to doing it. And you still kind of do it every once in a while. And it, maybe it looks a little different. And while I was on vacation a couple weeks back, I was praying, I was like, God, what do you want for this week? Because we had this standalone week sort of set up. I was like, what do you want me to, to say? He's like, freedom. I want the people at Nana Church to know about freedom. And I was like, okay. So I, I looked at some stuff, I studied some stuff, and I went back to him, I was like, what's the takeaway? And Jesus was like, freedom. I want my people to know that they can be free. And I want you guys to hear that today. You can be free from the bondage of sin. Now, in this life, in your mortal bodies, you can be free from sin. And, you know, you guys might, most of us here, I'm sure, are Christians. In fact, you came out on a rainy day, okay? So you're like the next level believers, yeah, that's good. You came out, you came out today, so, so that's good. But here, I'm gonna tell the truth, and I'm gonna say, I'd be lying if I said that every single one of us in here were living free, if I really believe that, because I don't. Every single one of us have different areas where we combat sin. And one thing that I've noticed as I get older and the closer I get to Jesus is just how far I still have to go. Tim Keller, you guys know him, he passed away this last year. Fantastic minister, probably like the smartest preacher I think I've ever heard. Just deep, heavy stuff, love listening to him. One of the things he said on this topic was, he said, if you, if you wanna see how redeemed you really are, I want you to try this. Just take the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Just take that rule and I want you to commit yourself for the next 12 hours to go and live that to the fullest. Never let that out of your mind. When you, when you walk out of here, you give the other person the, the right away to go down the aisle. When you get out front, you, you, you greet people the way that you would wanna be greeted. When you get to the parking lot, you wait on them to pull, you get into traffic. Y'all, some of you would not make it out the door without sinning, come on, right? See, what you would recognize if you just tried to live like that, fully live that out, you would recognize how far you still have to go. And that's not an indictment on you, that's just the reality, that you got a lot of habits, we got a lot of stuff that comes with us when we accept Jesus, and he wants to set us free from that. He wants to liberate you, and he wants to liberate me. You don't have to live that way. You can be free from the power of sin in your life. 
Galatians 5.1, it says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus came to give us freedom. He didn't intend for us to continue to live under the oppression of sin after we had accepted him and, and, and given him our life. So I wanna make sure there's some things that you don't hear me saying here, okay? Um, I'm not telling you that you have to be perfect to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying that, not at all. Um, life under the rule of Jesus, living completely submitted to him and, and living perfect, it's actually not a prerequisite for salvation. It's not one of the boxes you have to check in order to get into the kingdom and for him to come and live in your heart and dwell in you and start to renew you. That's not the order. You don't have to have everything perfect before you get there. But living under his rule, obedience to him, it is a result of accepting him. So freedom is the gift and obedience is the fruit of accepting that gift. It's the evidence. So the longer you walk with Jesus, the more free you're, you're gonna be living. John 14, 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he's not, he's not saying it like, like, well, you have to do this in order for us to have a relationship. He's saying, no, no, no. If you love me and you give your life to me, you're, just, you're gonna keep my commandments. Like, that's how you're gonna live. That's, that's, that's the way that you're gonna walk. And a lot of you would sit here and you would say, Jake, like, I love Jesus. But if I'm honest, I don't know if I always keep his commands. So where, where, like, where's the disconnect? And we could spend a lot of time today and I could talk to you about why we have this disconnect between the freedom Jesus gives and where we live and the theological reasons why we're there. What I would rather do, though, is just give you some basic things that I think will help you correct it and get it right. It will help start you down a path. Can we do that for the rest of the time here? Let's just talk about some practical things. The first thing I think we need to do to start to live free under Jesus' rule, number one is we gotta change the way that we think. Change your mindset. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. There are times, I use this verse so often, there are times, especially with my kids, when they say things and I know that they're completely dissonant from the truth of God, and I say, stop, you're gonna take that thought captive. And here's, here's what you're gonna do. I want you to take that idea, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm whatever, my brother hates me, my sister doesn't like me. You're gonna take that thought, I want you to put it in prison right now. Put the thought in prison, okay, and I want you to close your eyes, do it, I want you to lock the door, I want you to chuck the key and leave it there forever and never go back to it. Put that thought in prison. And some of us, we gotta do this. You gotta take thoughts captive that are inconsistent with the truth of God's word. Here's one, we hear this a lot. I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. Um, sort of. Romans 6, 11 through 12 says this. So you must also consider yourselves, think about yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Think about yourself like that. Uh, the message says it a different way. It's a paraphrased version of the Bible. It says, from now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. 
That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Another, another way of saying it is it's a reckoning. I reckon myself dead to sin. I consider myself dead to sin. I'm gonna change the way that I think. I'm not a sinner. That, do you sin? I bet you do. You probably do, but that's not an identity that you own. It's not something that you wear and you carry. It's not what you put on when you walk out the doors. Well, I'm a sinner today. Like, that's not how you think about yourself. I'm a saint. If you look at the way that, that the apostles address all the believers when they start to write the letters, they say, saints, beloved brothers, you're a child of God. You're a son or a daughter of the most high God. You're a, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're called forth for his glory. That's who you are. And anytime you start to think, man, I'm just a terrible, worthless, rotten old sinner, like, no, I'm gonna take that thought, I'm gonna put it in prison, I'm gonna lock it there, and I'm gonna leave the key, and I'm gonna go away. I'm never gonna think that way again. I am a son of God. That's how you gotta think about yourself. It's a reckoning. The second thing that you gotta do, make a law. I, I know we're talking about freedom, so this might sound a little dissonant, but let me, let me get there. John 14, 31, it says, Jesus is talking, he says, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Again, in Philippians, Paul talks about Jesus. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He talked for a little bit, and then he comes back and he says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus had some rules in life that he followed. He did what the Father told him to do. He became obedient. So, so remember, freedom and independence are not the same thing. Jesus walked in perfect freedom. I don't think anybody would argue that he did not walk in freedom, but he was not independent. In fact, he was probably the most dependent person on the face of the earth. He was just dependent towards the right person. He was dependent towards the Father. He did everything he saw the Father doing. That's what he said. I only do what I see him doing. In fact, he said in, in John, he said, the words I speak, I don't say on my own authority. I just say what he says. I just do what he tells me to do. That's it. He was completely dependent on his Father. And I think one of, one of the most overlooked and maybe underutilized statements in the Bible to help us get past sin, it was made by Jesus in Matthew 5. This is what he says. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So if I were to put this verse to a more current application, let's think about it this way. Think about the areas where you're sinning. I mean, the easiest one, the easiest one is just the device that every single one of the people in here have in their pockets right now or sitting on their lap. If that is a trigger for sin, cut it off and throw it away. Get rid of it. Cast it away from you. Delete some apps. I don't know. If there are triggers or if there are situations that make you vulnerable to any kind of sin, whether it's, it's greed, it's gluttony, it's jealousy, uh, anger, impatience, unforgiveness, pride, laziness, idolatry. Think of ways to separate yourself from those triggers. And you might look at me and you'd be like, Jake, that is just not practical. Like, 
you don't understand the lengths that I would have to go to to actually separate myself from that sin. You know how hard it is? Like, I have to be on my phone all the time to do these things. I have to be on the internet all the time to do these things. I would respond with just this passage. I'd be like, okay, so you, you said it's too difficult, I get it. Here's what Jesus said. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Does that seem a little dramatic? Does that seem like hyperbolic language, like he's trying to prove a point? Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, get rid of it. Because it's better for you to get rid of that than that your whole body be cast into hell. The, just weigh the cost out. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you're gonna do this. And last point, sometimes, even when you change your thinking, when you start to try to limit access to triggers and different things, you can't do it alone. You need a little bit more help. So I would say this, tell a friend, if you're struggling with some kind of sin, again, I'm talking to believers. We're talking about Christians, so everybody in here should be listening right now. I'm not just talking about people who don't know Jesus. Believers, change your thinking, make some laws, make some boundaries in your life, good boundaries. Talk to a friend. Get free from these sins. Galatians 6.2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill that rule. Carry the burdens that your friends have. Share that. That's why we have small groups here. That's why we believe so much in small groups. Because we can't do it by ourselves. I, I cannot do it by myself. I'm probably in more small groups than anybody here. My wife is laughing. Because like every morning and every night, she's like, where are you going? I'm like, got a small group. And it's not just me going and talking to them about stuff. It's, it's, it's them sharing with me and me talking about my struggles too. It's real. We just get real with each other. We tell our friends what we need to grow. So I started with talking about how we're supposed to be the light of the world when we go out and serve people. That's what Jesus wants for us. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to be the light. And I'm reminded of another one of those, those misstatements, like I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And you've probably heard it in church if you've been around very long. It goes like this. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Anybody heard that before? You guys have heard that. I can't be the only one. Here's the deal. The church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners. And it's also not just supposed to be a museum for saints. It's supposed to be a place where people can look to find hope. That's what we talked about, that city on a hill. It should be a place where they see healthy lifestyles, healthy mindsets, healthy relationships modeled. It should be a place where they see people who love Jesus, and that's evidenced by keeping his commands, by walking in righteousness and liberty. A museum is this place where these stale displays of history stand up and they remind us of things in the past. That's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is a force. It's supposed to be dynamic and powerful. We're supposed to go out and we're supposed to advance the gospel of Jesus in the earth. And that first line though, that part about being a hospital, what I think people mean when they talk about the church, and again, this is just part of changing our thinking. What people mean when they say the church should be a hospital for sinners is what they're trying to say is, Sinners should be able to come to church and feel welcome. They shouldn't feel shamed. They shouldn't feel like, like we're harassing them because they just happen to still be breathing oxygen. 
Because that's how they were born. That's how we were all born. They should be able to come in and, 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 and not feel judged, but feel welcomed to be able to make decisions and make some life change happen. Here's the deal, though. <clears throat> it can't stop there, though. You can't just come in and feel welcomed and feel loved. Because how many of you just want to go to a hospital where everybody there is sick? If you went to Stafford Hospital right around the corner here, and they're like, oh, yeah, you got a broken leg. We're going to send you to the broken leg ward. All the broken leg people just kind of hang out here. Oh, you've got cancer. Great. Here's the cancer. None of these guys ever get better. Here they are. And you just kind of hang out in the hospital forever, staying sick, never getting better. They never set the bone to help it heal. They never put it in a cast. They never give you some medicine. They never do any physical therapy with you. I would not go to that hospital. And in the same way, man, if you're going to church and you're never getting challenged, you're never getting better, and you're never getting closer to Jesus, mm, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. You should be changed when you come into the presence of God here. It should make you different. You, you should come here for hope. That's what we want to give people every single Sunday. We want them to have hope that their life can be different, that it does get better. Life is better with Jesus. I said it before. I'm going to say it again. If you come to this church, if you attend our worship experiences, if you, if you study the word, if you get involved in a small group, if you do the things that we're encouraging you to do, you will become different. You're not going to be able to help it. You're going to start to love him. You're going to keep his commandments. And the areas of your life where you're sick are going to start to heal. And some might heal really quick, and some might take some time, but here's the deal, they will heal. You will get better. And that's what we're gonna do here. That's our mission, amen? Amen, let's pray, let's bow our heads. <clears throat> I wanna give you a chance today, again, not just people who don't know Jesus, but any of us here who you have been stuck in just the same old, same old, same old. You keep going back to the same sin. Maybe you just keep losing your temper. Maybe you, you just have bad thoughts. You have destructive thoughts. Maybe you have unforgiveness that you refuse to let go. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's something more sinister than that. Hatred for a brother or sister. Whatever it is, I want you to know Jesus wants you to be free today. And so I, I want to pray for you and I want you to kind of take that first step and just kind of admit like, listen, I got some stuff I need to get over. I've been following Jesus for a while maybe. Maybe you, you've never followed him, but you wanna be free too. If that's you today, everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed. I just want you to put your hand up and I'm gonna pray for you. So just right now, right now, if that's you, if you got anything that you need to be free of, go ahead and lift your hand. Come on, I know that there are more people here. You're not raising your hands for me. You're raising your hands to Jesus. I see your hands. I'll give you another minute here. Just This is an act of faith between you and God. Lift your hand up and say, Lord, I wanna be free. It's like you're reaching out to dad. You're like, Papa, take care of me. Help me. I need your help. Because you cannot do it on your own. I'm telling you that. 
I'm going to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the liberty that you offer us in your son Jesus. I thank you that he said that he's not going to leave us alone. He's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to dwell within us. He's going to remind us of everything that you said while you were here. He's going to encourage us and challenge us. And so, Lord, we just pray for more of that right now. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come. It would indwell us, God. It would renew us. Lord, would you lead us in paths of righteousness? Father, I pray that you would show us evil thoughts that we're thinking, thoughts that the devil wants to use to keep us enslaved to the bondage of sin, Lord. And God, right now, Lord, I pray that you would, you would just help people right now visualize those thoughts, put them in prison, lock the door, and throw the key away right now in Jesus' name. I'm not gonna think that way anymore. Father, I pray that you would help give us perspective and help just illuminate to us boundaries that we should set and give us a realization of how serious sin is, Lord. How sinister it is. And Lord, send us friends. Send us community to help us walk in righteousness before you, God. Because we wanna live better, Lord. I don't wanna wait till I'm dead to be free of sin. I want you to come invigorate my mortal body, invigorate every single person here, Lord. Their bodies, God, as they've submitted to you, as they've raised their hands and said, Jesus, I wanna be more free. And so God, would you make that a reality today? In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mana Church Stafford Podcast. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on the web at manastafford.church or download the Mana Church app. To listen to our new episodes as they become available, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. We would also love to meet you in person. If you are local, our services take place each Sunday at 10 a.m. We pray you have a blessed week, and we will see you next time.